0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bowl full of Mm -hmm. (laughs) chips Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With Chappy Mm -hmm. and bum, Pip Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Two Mm -hmm. young brothers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talking college Mm -hmm. football (laughs) Mm -hmm. And life and humor Mm -hmm. Mm And some funny ass clips Mm
1: -hmm. So relax and unwind With a bowl full of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) chips
0: Five coming upon us, that is, and no, no bore at here, unfortunately. But this ain't no bore either. Just good fun college football infotainment here on a bowl full of chips, your source for the game you love. Here on a bowl full of chips, we are college football's increasingly relevant national podcast. Increasingly relevant, Bip, kind of like some of the teams that are going to be cracking our top twenty-five that we unveil tonight. Yep. And here at BFC, we bring football closer because college football is our passion, and delivering the deepest and most insightful analysis to you is our mission, and we do it with pride. I am your co-host, Charlie Chappy, and with me is my bro host. How you living, Bippy Smalls?
1: Chappie, I went through the gauntlet of emotions last Saturday. Michigan was thumped, mm-hmm. Notre Dame led at the half, and had a chance to win the game but fell short and Anthony Gordon put up video game like numbers to help me with my come from behind fantasy college football matchup. So it's kind of like I live that Jimmy V motto of doing three things every day. I laughed, I thought, and I cried. It was a heck of a day. <laughs> so I'm looking forward for something similar this weekend, but maybe with a little bit of results for my Irish, of course. Of course.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it was, um, Kind of a, a gamut of emotions from myself as well. I was in Evanston for the Michigan State game against that team in purple that wore the jerseys, but unfortunately did not put up the fight that I had hoped that they would. But the nice thing was in the press box, hearing the swarm of media talk about the thumping that that Michigan team suffered. So at least one team <laughs> from Michigan showed up and played well. And actually another one went down to Miami and Coral Gables and put up a fight against the Miami hurricanes. Not that that's a great resume builder at this point for Miami anyway, but nonetheless, it was, it was kind of nice to see as a, as a Chippewa alum. So absolutely. But, uh, well, you know, we, we move on, we press on and I'm excited for tonight because we have our top 25 unveiled. Bip and I, we, we purposely waited until after the fourth week of the season to have a better digestion of the teams that we felt were the 25 best in college football because we know that All of college football claims that preseason rankings mean nothing and it's stupid, yet everybody talks about them and everybody debates who's higher, who's lower. So whether you say that you like it or not, everybody's involved in it. You may not actually put pen to paper and rank 1 to 25, but when you're having those debates, you yourself, my friend, are ranking and putting one team above another. So quit, get off your soapbox, get off your high horse. Everybody loves it, so let's do it, right? (laughs) That's right. Well, you guys rock for listening, but please do us a solid and subscribe. Rate and review our show wherever you can. Tell us what you think and tell the college football world what they may be missing and why they shouldn't. You can be honest. Just don't be jerks. Help us keep the good thing going or learn something to improve upon to make this show even better. Help us go from good to great. Bip and I, we strive to be the glitter of the Twitter, so give us a follow. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am
1: at BFC Bip.
0: You can also visit our show's Twitter page on at full of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and information aimed at quenching your college football thirst. You can also find links to our previous podcasts and contact us at bowl full of chips at gmail.com. We really like the insight and bits of information that you provide us and keep us well informed. And we hope to keep in tune with the insights and analysis that helps us inform and entertain you. So Bip, Week four has come and gone. I've got a few notes that I'd like to rattle off to you. Tell me what you think about them and chime in with anything that maybe struck you and your fancy as well. So first of all, as you and I both know, whiskey is good. And I'm not talking about necessarily just the drink. I'm talking about the team in Madison, (laughs) Wisconsin. Holy smokes. Is Wisconsin looking like a great football team and not the best time for them to heat up because. They host the Northwestern Wildcats this September 28th, Saturday, BIP. And fortunately, you're going to be over. We're going to be enjoying the game together, hopefully enjoying the game together, or at least enjoying some uh, liquid whiskey to drown any potential sorrows.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you may be enjoying (laughs) one whiskey and hating the other. Uh So uh, they'll probably go hand in hand, my friend, but we'll see. I think so. (laughs) Yep.
0: One will compliment the other. (laughs) So Jonathan Taylor, 203 yards against Michigan and most of it came in the first half against, again, Michigan and Don Brown's defense. Wisconsin as a whole rushed for 359 rushing yards, uh, 487 total yards in offense. They had, they averaged 6.3 yards per carry, 8 yards per pass attempt, not just completion, but attempt. And their defense mm-hmm. held Michigan to 40 rush yards. I mean, that's something that is Michigan State-like defense numbers, and that's really like a Washington State rush total, not a University of Michigan, the winningest program in college football history <laughs> and the team that can play with three, three yards in a cloud of dust and can line up and beat you no matter who you are. Uh, nope, I'm sorry. You got your ass handed to you by Wisconsin, to quote Jim Rome. They also forced four turnovers, which included two fumbles and two interceptions from Heisman contender. Uh, air quotes and bury that Shea Patterson so
1: yeah who picked that
0: (laughs) I don't know some morons some jerks that really talk (laughs) out of their butt and have no idea what they're they're saying so
1: yeah and and I'm I'm wondering moving on how good is Wisconsin and how bad is Michigan or are we looking at both of the extremes and I think it's more the latter um of both of the extremes at play here wisconsin that offensive line hasn't missed a beat that defense is right back to where they were last year seems really like an anomaly jim leonard has this team playing out of their mind Uh and we'll see almost immediately how bad it can get for michigan they should throttle rutgers but what if they struggle because after that they play iowa at home they travel to illinois which should be a loss for illinois but The game is right before their trip to Happy Valley, and Illinois has the offense to compete despite how bad their defense is. Then, like I said, they travel to Penn State. They have a home game against Notre Dame, travel to Maryland, and we know how that offense can perform so far this year. Home against MSU, where Harbaugh's never beaten Michigan State before. They're at Indiana that has a couple of quarterbacks that could pose problems, Mm -hmm. and the Hoosiers have played Michigan tough in years past. Then they have Ohio State. I'm not saying that they're going to drop to six and six this year, although they're playing like such so far this year. But that schedule that started that everyone said would help the Wolverines at the beginning of the year doesn't look like so much of a the no brainer. Uh, it doesn't look to have so much of a no brainer win outside of that Rutgers game this upcoming week, Chappie. I'm starting to wonder if, you know, if not for the, the hot seat and what the uh, the fans are thinking of Harbaugh himself, is he starting to get some rumblings of, oh boy, maybe it's time for me to uh, exit stage left coming up because things are looking a little rough in Ann Arbor.
0: And I don't see him taking it out that way. I see him turning it into, well, I had an opportunity in the NFL and I couldn't pass it by, I couldn't turn it down. Because oh yeah, I don't think that NFL. he's
1: going to. Yeah, I don't think that he's going to flat out retire by any means. He's going to have an excuse to go along with it. Yeah, but right. <laughs> but make no mistake about it, it's going to be a veil for uh, maybe my time here. Maybe I can't get this done like I thought I would be able right. to. Right,
0: yeah. Maybe, just maybe, there are more good teams in the Big Ten than Michigan and Ohio State. Just maybe. Right. Like, uh, that was team that we talked about. Um. <laughs> so, damn it, I did it again. <laughs> we still... My other thing, Bip, is I still don't know, and no disrespect to you or Irish fans, I don't know if Notre Dame is better than I thought or if Georgia isn't as good as I thought. Now, both teams looked capable. I'm not saying that they didn't play like top ten teams, but I honestly expected Georgia to kind of pull away a little bit further than what they did against the Irish, and the Irish did play better Mm -hmm. than what I expected, but I'm not sold that this is a Notre Dame team that is going to run the table the rest of the way and possibly meet up with Georgia again in the college football playoff. I, I I'm not convinced of that. So I I'm really up in the air as to whether it's a better Notre Dame team or a lesser Georgia team. What do you think?
1: Well, I think there's a couple things at play here. Number one, Notre Dame was they, they seemingly didn't miss a tackle in the first half right. and they came ready to play. They didn't. It wasn't like Miami from two years ago when they traveled to Miami and got thumped because the game was too big for them. Yeah. They were ready. They were prepared. Their game plan was good. And Clark Lee keep an eye on that name he is unbelievable uh-huh. and any 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 school out there that's looking to pay a defensive coordinator at least a million dollars a year look for Mr. Lee and Notre Dame this is especially something you should pay attention to make sure that you match any and all offers because <laughs> he is awesome um i think that more than anything was was the the reason i think they were they were they were well prepared for this one You saw that they got tired in the third quarter, um, and that kind of extended into the fourth quarter a little bit. Swift was starting to break a a couple of his runs, and you saw that that crisp tackling was kind of going away. So I think it was kind of a combination of Georgia. I thought that they were going to pull away more so than what they did in the second half, similar to what you did, Chappie. Uh, But credit to Notre Dame. That offense for Notre Dame really couldn't do much of anything other than throw it to Cole Komet. Um, But kind of a testament to how well and fundamentally well that they played the game, despite the uh, the the noise penalties that they got for for false starts and such. Um, So I don't think I I still think that Notre Dame's a 10 or 11 win team going into this year. I thought they were going to lose to Georgia going into it. And this makes me feel more encouraged because despite the fact that their defensive ends still don't have a ton of production so far this year, that defense has been sound when it's needed to. And if that offense wakes up and they could, or they're could, getting back Jafar Armstrong and Michael Young within the next few weeks, I think that offense starts to come alive as well. So um, I, I think that Georgia, is they, they didn't show as much to me, so I knocked them down just a slight peg. But definitely Notre Dame impressed me more than what I thought they were going to going into that matchup.
0: Yeah, and you look at Notre Dame's schedule moving ahead. You talk about their defense. Their defense is really good against the pass. Still suspect against the run. And I look at their schedule. Fortunately for the Irish, they really don't play any heavy run teams until their last three games of the season against Navy, who's undefeated right now, although just played just two games, I think. Boston College Mm -hmm. is running the ball fairly respectable. And then Stanford, right. who usually can run the ball, and you would figure by game 12 they will have it figured out and, and can pose a run threat, and that game's out in Palo Alto. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Notre Dame's schedule certainly not seemingly as daunting as it once was, although USC right. at home on October 12th now is looming a little bit bigger after right. uh, the upset pick that somebody on this show called last week for USC to win against Utah. I think it was the same <laughs> At, boner who picked Shea Patterson to finish in the fi- Heisman finalist, but...
1: Right, right. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, the road trips to Michigan, to Stanford aren't looking near as tough. Um, the trip to Boston College could be difficult, as that, as that might be a, a looming trap game, and obviously uh, we've seen that it doesn't matter which quarterback plays for USC, they're going to be able to throw the ball on you. So, yeah. Um, that how the, how the rest of the season plays out for the Irish will be something to watch for for sure. Well, there
0: you know we talk about Notre Dame defense and Clark Lee, great defensive coordinator. Before him, Mike Elko, who's now at D, uh, Texas A and M, very good defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. And they also had a guy named Brian Van Gorder, who also coincidentally was a defensive coordinator at Georgia. He only by name, uh, <laughs> right? He cannot <laughs> run a defense. Listen, Bo- Bowling Green and anybody else who might want to give Brian Van Gorder a call, he can't run a defense. In 3 losses to 3 FBS teams, he's given up 52, 35 and 62 points. Oh, and by the way, their next 4 games are against Notre Dame, Toledo, CMU and Western Michigan. All of the all of whom are pretty good offensively they just got thumped on the road by Kent State and that Sean Martin flashball or golden flash offense I can't remember the name that he gave to his offense flash fast I think they can put up some points but again they're not it's not like you're playing Marshall when they were running away with the Mac or it's not like you're playing Miami of Ohio when they had Ben Roethlisberger. You're playing Kent State, who didn't make it to a bowl last year, may not make it to a bowl this year. And you're Brian Van Gorder, who has seemingly been around Power 5 programs, been the head defensive guy. I haven't seen him do it in years, BIP, so I really don't understand what the lure is for this guy. Maybe he's a hell of a motivator. Maybe he's a great players coach. But on-the-field product has been absolute stinky garbage the last five years maybe more
1: he's someone that gives vegas nightmares when it comes to determining how high of a point (laughs) spread to set against his defense every week and it kind of reminds me of uh, being lions fans matt millen i mean the guy seemingly didn't know what the hell he was doing but by and large he stayed with the lions for way way too long i don't know Van Gorder must be the best interview in college football because Uh he sure as hell doesn't have the resume for the last 10 years. Um, And and yeah, I I just don't know um, if he hypnotizes uh, coaches, athletic directors when he goes in for said interview, but all you have to do is pop in a tape of a couple of his games to realize how he's got no idea how to run a defense at all. Couldn't agree with you more, Chappie.
0: Either that, or he's got so many connections that he's got, dirty skeletons in the closet tapes on nearly every power (laughs) five program and says, you might want to hire me. Let me put in this tape and show you why.
1: So yeah, exactly.
0: Speculation, of course. And I have nothing personal against the guy, but at college football's level, it's kind of like my rant on place kickers. You damn well better Mm -hmm. be able to make an extra point. If you're a power five experienced defensive coordinator and you're playing in FBS football, you should not be giving up an average of 50 points a game. Right, and if you're in a
1: university looking for a defensive coordinator, why not save the money, go after a lesser-known commodity, and take your chances and roll the dice there? Right. Because if you give up fifty points, well, you've you've spent about two hundred thousand dollars less on your defensive coordinator than what you're paying for the past experience, quote unquote, right. of uh, Mister Van Gorder.
0: Exactly. Well, we'll lay off the the rants and the the hatred for, for certain coaches. <laughs> Let, for now. Yeah, for now. Let's get into And we might incorporate that into our next segment here, Bip. Let's get sure. to our top 25. So, again, Bip and I purposely held out until after week four because we wanted to get a, a much better body of work or eye test on many of these mm-hmm. teams. So I'm going to start off, Bip, and I'll give you my numbers 25 through 21. Stop in sure. and interrupt me if there's any point where you disagree or anything that you want to add. So I'm going to start number 25. I'm going to go Wake Forest. And I, I think I had those flip-flopped at first. But I'm going to go Wake Forest at 25. Maybe an argument that they could be a little bit higher, but I think that there's 24 teams better than them. 24 is Kansas State. The reason why I have Kansas State ahead of them is statistically they can play defense a lot better than Wake Forest. If Wake Forest could play defense better than what they are, I would certainly have them a little bit higher because they're impressing me on offense right now, especially Jamie Newman. 23, I'm going with Virginia. I still think that they're a little bit too hyped, and I think that they're going to be brought back down. They're going to have their bubble deflated in South Bend this weekend when they play the Irish. 22, I have Michigan State, and I honestly could have put them a little bit higher. I think that two weeks ago against Arizona State, that was just them shooting themselves in the foot. I think it was bad coaching. I think it was an anomaly. I think this is actually going to be a good Michigan State team. That pass offense looked a little bit better against a, uh, a respectable Northwestern defense last weekend. Their run game in Elijah Collins is getting better. And then 21, I'm going to go with the UCF Knights. I think they also kind of got brought back down to earth a little bit by a pretty good pit team. I don't think that that was a fluke, but UCF is, is going to start to realize, and somebody made a good point on a podcast. I think it was Mark Packer. I love listening to his show on Sirius Radio, but he kind of said, hey, You asked to play with the big boys, and now you're starting to realize that they're a little bit bigger than what you might think. And I know it was a one-point win, and it was a trick play and whatnot, and UCF fans are about as rabid as they get, and they'll throw out there and say, if we played them nine more times, we'd beat them nine in a row, but you didn't this time, and that's your first loss in 27 games, so I'm interested to see how they rebound, Bip. So who's your 25 through 21, or, or any thoughts on mine?
1: Well, I kind of go through a couple of your uh, thoughts on yours as I go through mine here. 25, I'm starting with UCF, yep. and I'm not sold uh, as much as you that Pitt was that great of a loss for UCF. I still think that Pitt borders around 6-6 six and six this year, um, and mainly uh, the, the main reason why I'm putting UCF so low is their quarterback play continues to underwhelm, if you, and if you don't have good quarterback play, um you're a liability to lose on any given week 24 I have Michigan State I have a couple spots lower than you mainly because I don't think they've great beaten a great opponent yet uh with no uh, disrespect to your Wildcats Chappy but that defense is going to that, that defense is going to keep them in every game this year yeah. I think if they can continue to to run the ball with Elijah Collins I like what I see out of him yeah. Uh, but I, I just can't trust that offense as a whole. They're so up and down this year offensively. If they can get consistent offensive play, they'll be easily a top, t- top 15, maybe top 10 team in the country. But I have to see the consistency before I can put them up there. 23, I have the Michigan Wolverines. And if it if Michigan wasn't Michigan and didn't start, start in the top 25 this year, I'm convinced that they wouldn't be in the top 25. They have the talent, but they need to start showing it. Their offense is a mess. The defense is nothing close to what they have been. And I kind of liken them to Florida state and Miami. And I don't think anyone's putting either of those teams within the top 25. Uh, So I think the fact that Michigan Started off so high is the only reason that they're at twenty three. They struggle against Army, who's not as good as they were last year. They won forty to twenty one against Middle Tennessee State. I think they're a complete mess, and they're in jeopardy of being bumped out of the top twenty five within the next couple of weeks. Uh, in my opinion, you and twenty two, I have you and
0: Big Kurt from the Eyes on Big podcast are my <laughs> champions heroes for the week. I just <laughs> I can't hear enough about the the Michigan. Sloppiness and, and and your both of your takes on it. So keep talking. That's right, nothing's in my ear. <laughs> well, Who do you got? Uh,
1: Twenty two. I got Iowa State, and their only uh, losses to Iowa. They scored over seventy points this past week. They still have one of the better defenses in the country. I think this is maybe more so on potential than current performance mm-hmm. so far this year. But I think Iowa State's a team to watch out for the rest of the season. 21. I have Texas A&M. Their two losses are to Auburn and Clemson. Kellen Mond hasn't impressed me too much this year, but I think that he and Jimbo Fisher make a good matchup. Uh, and this team isn't good enough, or uh, and this team isn't good enough to beat several of the ranked opponents on their tough schedule. Um, so they may drop out of the top 25 at some point this year. But I don't think it's going to be necessarily due to their poor play. I think the schedule is just really, really tough for them to go through that gauntlet this year. Uh, but currently I'm gonna put them at 21 and think that they're gonna be a, a really dangerous team uh to upset some of the the higher ups in uh, the SEC this year yep um dangerous for I sure. almost had yeah I almost had uh Wake Forest and Kansas State in my top 25 wake I, I damn near had them in uh as 25 or twenty four but I think if they went head up against Michigan State or UCF. I'm not sure they'd come out on top, although it'd be rooting for them too. And Kansas State, they just flat out haven't played anyone. Although, if you look at their offensive and defensive efficiencies, I think they're in the top 10 in each of those. Yeah, their
0: numbers but, are really good.
1: Yeah, but that offensive efficiency could be a little skewed as they've played FCS Morgan State and that aforementioned Bowling Green <laughs> defense that could be skewing that offensive efficiency. So yeah, that was a- keeping them out for... One more week, but uh rooting for them as I think they're one of the better stories in college football so far this year. Yeah,
0: that game against Bowling Green I think was set attendance records for the most attended practice in Kansas State history. So, uh, the, well, Chappie, um, anyway. So, bad joke. Right. We'll, we'll move on to my uh, twenty through sixteen. So, twenty, I've got the Cal Bears, and you know, there's. I caught a little bit of flack on Twitter for calling that Cal would lose to Ole Miss on the road at noon, and I I know that I wasn't alone in that pick. There were a lot of people, even outside this podcast, who kind of thought that. I don't know that I'm convinced on Cal yet. Yeah, they're four and zero. Yeah, they beat Washington, but honestly, Bip, I think that Washington win was an anomaly. There was a three hour lightning delay, and yeah. Cal has that good defense. And when your offense. Falls asleep almost literally when they were waiting and waiting and waiting. I think it's a lot easier to play defense than it is to play offense. And Cal's offense came alive at the right time in that game. And Washington just couldn't take advantage. So, yeah, they're 4-0. But again, I, I'm not convinced just yet. Give me one more win. And I said the same thing about Maryland, and Maryland got exposed. So yeah. I'm going to say the same thing about the Cal Bears. Show me another big victory, and, and I'm going to get on board. Their defense looks really good, but I still can't buy that offense yet, regardless of what Berkeley fans are, are hyped about.
1: Yeah. And I thought you'd give them a little more credit because they're pretty reminiscent to me of a team from Evanston with that defense right. and that offense. It seems to be asleep at the wheel from time to time, but they get it done. Um, I think that they have a slight rocky future in the in the immediate uh, term. And I'll get into that later in the mm-hmm. podcast. I currently have them at 15 because. I think that they're a tough team to beat in any given week and got to give them their due credit so far being four and oh and having beaten Washington.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of other undefeated teams that aren't even in my top 25. Granted, right. I know they play in the pac 12, but right now the pac 12 is in my opinion, uh, tied with fourth in the power yep. five with the ACC. So show me a little bit more. I have Washington at 19 and I know that they're ranked in the AP two spots higher But again, Washington really hasn't, you know, outside of their loss to Cal, they've beaten Hawaii, they've beaten Eastern Washington, and then they thumped BYU last weekend. But I'm not sold. I mean, BYU to me is kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde team right now. They're a little bit bipolar. They looked really good against USC. They looked pretty good against Utah. Did not look good against Washington. And I don't, similar to the Georgia Notre Dame game, I don't know if it's that, BYU is not as good as I thought they were going in, or if Washington is even better than I thought. I have Boise State at 18, I have USC at 17, and that's a team that really intrigues me, the Trojans. They could, uh, you know, we'll get into our our picks in Washington and USC in one of our games this week, but Mm -hmm. I think that they still are my representative for the Pac-12 South, for whatever that's worth because I know that that league's down a little bit. Iowa I have at sixteen. And I know that some people, especially our friend Mr. Jeffrey the Greek, thinks that the Iowa Hawkeyes should be ranked a lot higher. A lot of people are putting them right up there with Wisconsin in the West. So, you know, take that for what you will. But yep, I'm gonna go with the Hawkeyes at sixteen again. I don't know that they played anybody outside of Iowa State that I have been convinced that they're maybe a top twelve or top ten team right. like some people are talking. So Yeah. So give us your 20 through 16 there Bip.
1: Okay? Uh I'm going to start with Virginia. Um I think that they're good, not great. We'll see how they represent themselves against Notre Dame this week. 19 Boise State, 18 USC, and that's current for right now. I'm still on the lower end as uh in regards to their end uh their season ending results. Uh still don't trust that defense. Um, Although Graham Harrell seems to be able to plug any quarterback into that system right now uh, and have favorable results. 17. I have Mm -hmm. Washington. That secondary is running into its own and that offense is humming under Jacob Eason. Mm -hmm. 16. I have Utah. They really disappointed me last week. They were thrown all they were thrown on all over the place and couldn't seem to stop. Michael Pittman can't believe how many times he got behind the coverage in that game. Uh, but still think that they're one of the more well-rounded teams on offense and on defense. Um, so they round out my my top 16 here. I'll, I'll go down to my uh, 15 to uh, 11 here as well, Chappie. 15, I have Cal, which I already mentioned. Um, 14, I have Penn State. Don't think that they've played anyone yet, uh, but we'll see how they, how they fare getting into Big Ten play. 13, I have Iowa. I'm with you. I wouldn't put them anywhere near Wisconsin yet, but they're definitely number two uh, in the West in regards to how they played so far. Liked how they gridded that win out against Iowa State, but to me, it seems like Iowa State kind of petered away that win uh, more so than Iowa won that game. However, it was a hard-fought victory, and Iowa's looked really good so far this year. Sound fundamental football that you expect from the Hawkeyes. 12, I have Oregon, and 11, I have Texas. Um, thought that they were going to lose to Oklahoma State last week. We're losing for a decent amount of that, but then really charged back in the second half and uh, didn't look back in that one. So that rounds out my uh, uh, top 15 there. Chappy, who do you have 15 through 11?
0: Well, 15, I'm, I'm keeping Michigan in the top 15 simply because I hmm. I think, I know that they look bad against Wisconsin, but that could be a wake-up call. And Harbaugh does well against teams that are outside of the top 10. Now I know Wisconsin didn't look so good this week, but they have Rutgers <laughs> at home, Iowa for homecoming, which is a game that I think that they win. Cause that's going to be right now, the biggest game in Jim Harbaugh's immediate future, because if they lose right. that game against Iowa at home, even the most diehard of Michigan fans are going to start to wonder, you know, is the grass greener on the other side? And they yep. got at Illinois and then they play at Penn State, and I don't think Penn State will be a top 10 team at that point. So that's another game no. that could go either way. And again, I don't, similar to you, I don't know which Penn State team is going to show up in that one. And I also don't know yeah. which Michigan team is going to show up. And then there comes that big <laughs> game against Notre Dame. So I think, you know, this is a little bit more on potential. I'm not ready to drop the bottom out on Michigan yet. However, we will see against Iowa, and we'll certainly see against Penn State. If they lose one of those two games, then no, I don't think Michigan deserves to be in the top 15, and that's not because of my jadedness against the maize and blue. That's just calling it like I see it. So I got Michigan at 15. Sound, yeah?
1: Sounds to me like someone stopped in Ann Arbor for their free Kool-Aid that they're giving out right now, uh, but uh, to each their own. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs>
0: you were my hero. Now, Bip, you're on the fence. So, 14, I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks. They They should have beaten Auburn, and that's their only blemish so far. Offense is looking better. Defense is playing respectable. 13, I have Utah. They're still a pretty good team. I still don't think that they're going to win the South, but they're going to play good defense. Tyler Huntley is playing well. I'm a little bit nervous that Zach Moss is out. I don't know how long he's gone for. It sounds like it might just be a week-to-week basis, so hopefully for their Mm -hmm. sake he comes back. Penn State has looked good on offense at number 12 for me. But they're going to be tested soon, and one of those games is coming up on Friday against the Maryland Terps, and that's going to be an exciting one to watch. We'll see which of those two yep. teams is for real and which one is just going to kind of fall by the Big Ten East wayside. And then 11 is Texas, and that team really could be higher. I was I was debating whether to put Texas ahead of my number 10, maybe even my number 19, because their only blemish is against LSU. They played some close games. I'm not sold on their defense yet. But Sam Ellinger continues to prove that when he's at quarterback, Texas literally has a shot every game, no matter who they play bit. But I'm going to put them at number 11. So let's get to our our top 10. So we're going to ping pong back and forth. I see that we both have the same number 10. So why don't we say it in unison? Three, two, one, Florida. Florida. (laughs) I beat you. So, yeah, I, you know, and that was iffy between them and Texas for me because they are playing with Kyle Trask. He looked good against Tennessee, but so did Georgia State and so did BYU and so did the uh, Knoxville junior varsity high school team. So (laughs) I I have the Gators at number 10, as you do. Um, Number nine and eight were both the same as well. We have Notre Dame at nine, Auburn at eight. Anything to add to that? I know you've talked about Notre Dame. Why do you have Auburn so high?
1: Um, mainly because of that defense. I don't trust that offense. Uh, but that defense is so suffocating yep. that similar to Michigan State, it's gonna keep them in it. Um, and they've had better wins so far than Michigan State, so that separates the the two teams there for me. Yep. Uh but definitely a top ten team for me.
0: Totally agree. And I think Malzon is is pushing the right buttons so far this year. I think their schedule sets up yeah. somewhat favorably. And mm-hmm. somebody threw out a very interesting scenario, and I, I can't recount exactly how it all plays out. But there's a chance where Auburn, LSU, and Alabama could all be one-loss teams at the end of the season after the SEC championship. So if they're all sitting at 11-1 or 12-1, um, or you know however it may play out, how is that going to look in the eyes of the committee, especially the team that doesn't play in the SEC championship or the teams that don't play in the SEC championship, but if the West representative gets knocked out, or if they look weak, do, do they turn and look at one of those other two teams? So I would love to see that and just make the college football playoff committees head spin and and make them actually you know think and do something for once.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Paul Feinbaum's head explode if that's <laughs> the scenario,
0: right? So um, number seven, give us your number seven team.
1: Seven. I have Oklahoma. Um, that offense is unbelievable. That defense is playing much better this year. Haven't played too many uh, great opponents this year, waiting to bump them higher until they get some better wins on their resume.
0: I've got Wisconsin at seven. I have Oklahoma at six. The reason I put the Sooners above Wisconsin is that offense. And, and you know, yep. like you just touched on, I think on a neutral field, I I I'm gonna put my money on Lincoln Riley over Paul Christ and even over Jim Leonard to score that last touchdown and ride that Jalen Hurts magic that they've got going so far. And Caleb right. has shown us that speed wins and Oklahoma's got a little bit more than Wisconsin does.
1: Right. And I know we have seven and six flip for each other. I have Wisconsin at at six right. ahead of Oklahoma. Um I think That what we've seen from Wisconsin right now, we've seen their best from their running game. We've seen the best from their defense, but I don't think we've seen the best yet from Jack Cohn in that passing game. I think there's room for improvement in that Wisconsin passing game, even though they played pretty well so far. I think the Oklahoma offense is what it is, and it's firing on on all cylinders already. But Wisconsin's more of a two-dimensional team, I think, than uh, Oklahoma might be. So right,
0: and that's that's where I was going back and forth because I I do value defense, and Wisconsin has a much much better defense than Oklahoma does. But yeah. again, especially in the warmer climate playoff sites that you have in the college mm-hmm. football playoffs, I got to put my money on Oklahoma there. So we also have five and four flip flop. I've got Georgia at five, Ohio State at four. I'm going to tell you why I have the Buckeyes ahead of the dogs, and I want you to tell me why you have the dogs ahead of the Buckeyes. I'm going to sure. go with Ohio State's offense is unreal right now. They've got so many weapons, so much speed, and they're playing really good defense. I'm not convinced that Georgia's defense is quite there yet. I think they're still young. I think that they're a little bit undisciplined. We've we've seen them kind of get threatened against – uh, you know, a pretty good Notre Dame offense and Ian book and uh, Claypool and Fink and, and those guys. And they don't hold a candle in my opinion to Ohio state. So I, right. that's why I put the Buckeyes ahead. Ohio state just looks like they're light years ahead of last year's offense under Dwayne Haskins is as, as hard as that is to believe. And the big X factor is they're playing much, much, much better defense than they did a year ago. And I think they're playing much better defense in Georgia right now. So why do you have the dogs ahead of the Buckeyes?
1: Uh, First and foremost, that offensive line and that running game from Georgia, I think that it has uh, the ability to and it showed that it wore down Notre Dame um, in that game. I think it could do similar things to Ohio State as they go about four deep with elite running backs, maybe even five. That defense is fast enough to match up well with the athletes of Ohio State. They took completely took away any pass uh, further than 10 yards away from Notre Dame. I'm not saying that they would stymie the the deep passing game from Ohio State, but for sure that secondary matches up well with those Ohio State receivers. And I think the dual threatness um, gets taken away from Justin Fields with how fast that Georgia defense is, Uh, I think, matched up so far in the season. I like that uh, Georgia defense um, to kind of cover that Ohio State offense. And then um, I think that they're only going to get better as the season goes on because that Georgia defense is relatively young. Um, So I see them as the season progresses, getting better and better uh, and becoming even more of a favorable favorable matchup against the Buckeyes. How
0: great would that be to see that Georgia defense go against their uh, trader teammate or ex-teammate in Justin Fields. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like, oh, how's Columbus now should have stuck around. We're going to show you what real defense is like. So that would be and sh- fun
1: and shame on me. How could I, f- how, how could I forget to mention that Georgia has Jake Fromm at quarterback? That's right.
0: I know <laughs> he's, uh, he's going to be a little jealous now, brother. He, uh, <laughs> you know. Sam Hartman still love you, man. Uh, there's a spot in Evanston. <laughs> Um. So number three, we both have LSU, and I yep. I love LSU right now. I just can't put them ahead mm-hmm. of our numbers two and one. So give us your number right. two and your number one. Tell me why you have your number one ahead of two, and I'll tell you why I have them flip flop.
1: Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that we kind of have one and two the way they are because the that's the where, where they years. began <laughs> at the. Be- it- Well, that's kind of how we started our rankings to begin this season. I had Bama one, Clemson two. That's where I have them right now. There's no reason to think that Bama has gotten any worse uh, for me, in my opinion, since the season started. Neither has Clemson. Clemson's done nothing to not justify. And I'm not worried at all about Trevor Lawrence and his quote-unquote Subpar performance so far this year, yeah. because every one of his teammates has made up for that more so. Yeah, uh, and I think he'll be just fine by the time of the end of the season happens. But I just think that Alabama's a little more balanced because that defense is better than what Clemson is, uh, in my opinion. While both offenses are are pretty uh, even in my in my mind.
0: Yeah, if if I'm a a team on Clemson's schedule, I'm not looking at them coming up and saying. Well, Trevor Lawrence has thrown five interceptions. We've got a shot. No, I'm still <laughs> right. I'm still pooping in my huggies and saying they've got so many damn weapons. Uh Chase Bryce could be in there, or quarterback X could be in there, or one of Herp Street's kids could take snaps out of the Wildcat. And and I'm still gonna <laughs> yeah. be afraid of the Clemson Tigers. So yeah, I have Clemson yeah. one and Bama two, similar to you because that's the way I had them starting the season. Clemson has really been on cruise control and Credit to Davos Swinney for getting players in. I heard that they played 111 different players who got a snap in the game against Charlotte and Charlotte's no rollover. they are an up and coming team in conference USA and Clemson still hung 52 Mm -hmm. on them. So Trevor's fine. Those receivers are fine. Travis Etienne is still, you know, churning along and Lindsey Dixon is, is looking like a good backup.
1: Um, And that'll be something to keep an eye on as they get into the playoff. Not as if they it was much of a different scene last year in regards to the lack of competition in the ACC. But maybe there is something to be said uh, this year instead, um, after losing so much from last year's team, that they don't really face a formidable opponent until they get into the playoff because there's no one in the ACC. Uh, They took care of Texas A&M. Uh, without much of an issue, and now they really don't have anyone in their uh, rearview mirror until they get to that eventual playoff, uh, should they finish the season undefeated, which they probably will.
0: And I'm really, really hoping, and this has nothing to do with number 10, but I'm really hoping that Wake Forest goes into that game against Clemson and Death Valley undefeated just because it would be a really cool atmosphere And I'm Mm -hmm. I'm wishing it was played in Winston-Salem because I would love to see college game day go there. And I'm happy for Wake fans. I've seen that they have really exploded on Twitter and the Wake Forest pride is beaming right now. And they've got a pretty good setup getting into that November 1st matchup against Clemson. I'm not saying that Wake will pose much of a threat to the Tigers, but if they're undefeated Mm -hmm. going into that game, you never know how strong momentum can be on your side, especially if, you're the underdog still, right? So it'll be fun to see. And the reason I, you know, one last thing before we move on, I have Clemson ahead of Bama because I actually like Clemson's defense better. I think Bama's still a little young on defense. Yeah, they've got five-star talent all over the place, but they've got some injuries too. LeBron Ray's out, DJ Dale's banged up. So that's two of your three starting defensive linemen. They're playing a couple freshmen at linebacker because of injuries to Dylan Moses and other players. Yeah. Their secondary is, is you know, the strength of that defense. But even still, I, 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 I'm going to put my money on Clemson's defense and their defensive coordinator first and foremost. Yeah. I like him better than yep. Golding. So, yeah, head-to-head, head, I'm still going to roll with the Tigers against the Tide, no pun intended. So. <laughs> but, all right, well, uh, we went a little long on our top 25, but it's the first time we've done it. And I think that the listeners deserved our rationale into why we put those teams where we did BIP. So Absolutely. we'll post that on Twitter. We'll put it on our website as well. But let's get into week five preview because we've got some gamblers out there who are like, come on, come on, give me the stuff. Give me the picks. <laughs> yes, sir. So so. let's, let's start with you. Give us your first game that you, you're going to look out for and, and where they might end up against the spread or, or straight up in the score.
1: Well, I'm going to start off with the Golden Domers again, Chappie, and Virginia comes into town, into South Bend, and Notre Dame's getting 12 and a half points, or I'm sorry, giving 12 and a half points going into this one. Um, Virginia comes into this one 4-0, but they trailed Florida State until 2:34 left in the game uh, when they played uh, the Seminoles, and they were down 17-0 against Old Dominion last week and only took the lead with about 10 minutes left to go in that game. Um so they've they've had their struggles so far this year despite being undefeated. Bryce Perkins leads the Cavaliers in rushing which could be a good thing for a dual threat quarterback, but he's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry and their lead back Wayne uh Talapapa only has 152 yards while averaging 3.9 yards per carry. So with that, Virginia's only 94th in the country in rushing yards per game. That doesn't bode well for the Cavaliers after Notre Dame kept Georgia in check for most of the night with a much better stable of running backs and a much better offensive line. Additionally, Perkins has already thrown four picks to only six touchdowns this year, so is he trying to do too much to propel this offense? As we know that Notre Dame from last year uh, and the talent that they have this year is one of those teams that can uh, really force the turnover with uh, some of the ball hawks that they have on that back half of the uh, defense. Defensively, Virginia's gotten... The, into the backfield early and often this season. They rank fifth in the country with almost 10 tackles for loss per game. And this is great news for the Cavaliers as the Irish offensive line has underperformed and they're allowing five tackles for loss per game. Uh, Max Snowden and Zandler uh, for Virginia all have at least five tackles for loss for Virginia and they've combined for 10 sacks on the season. So, If they can get a good pass rush on Ian Book, who has struggled with pressure thus far uh, in the season, that will only help this vaunted secondary. And Bryce Hall and Nick Grant could take away the deep ball, similar to how Georgia did last week. Um, So flipping the script, uh, Notre Dame, uh, on the other hand, is coming off of, obviously, that heartbreaking loss in which they showed they can play with college football's elite, and they had a chance to win the game in their last possession. They're still down their top running back, Jafar Armstrong. And that showed against Georgia, as they ran only nine times with a true running back, uh, right. Tony Jones, and he only had 21 rushing yards. Yeah. Notre Dame needs to push the ball down the field. They struggled with the deep ball thus far. Ian Book has an average arm, but he has the ability to throw the deep ball from time to time. Um, but the per- the vertical passing game has been almost non-existent this year for the Irish. What they lack in the vertical passing game, they are extremely dangerous in the short to middle uh, of the field passing game with Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, Tommy Tremble. All are big targets who find themselves open often. And that doesn't even mention Chris Fink, who's disappointed so far this year. He's their fifth year senior captain who's very shifty with the ball on his hands. He needs to start getting uh, involved as he's had a couple of bad games in a row. Um, but the offense isn't really what will, is not really what will is continuing to win uh, games for the Irish this year. It's that defense. Mm-hmm. They're ranked eighth in the country in defensive efficiency, and that was on full display against Georgia. Um, I already mentioned how highly I think of Clark Lee, and they bottled up that Bulldog offense for most of the first half. And while they wore down against a physical Georgia team, the safeties led the team in tackles with eight apiece. And Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who is their hybrid linebacker safety, continues to get better and better each week. Asmar Bilal has also played two really good games back-to-back, so those linebackers are running into form after being a weakness going into the season. Their talented defensive ends, Khalid Kareem, uh, Dalen Hayes, and Julian Okwara haven't had a ton of production yet this year, but when they start to look out for this defense, um, and in the secondary I already mentioned, how well the safeties played against uh, Georgia, but at corner, Tariq Bracy had two passes defended. Sean Crawford continues to show that when he's healthy, he's a damn good cover corner, mm-hmm. and Troy Pride is still the team's best corner overall. So Virginia struggled to put together a full game. Uh, Notre Dame has the potential for a hangover after that hard-fought loss against Georgia, but I think that game energized the Irish and will have the opposite effect. And I think Notre Dame comes out firing on all cylinders in front of the home crowd. Virginia started slowly um, in their last two games, and Notre Dame is not a team that uh, Virginia will be able to come back against. So if they start off slowly, look out in this one. I like the Irish to cover, despite what seems like a really high spread for a clash of two top 25 teams. Give me the Irish 34, Virginia 20 in this one, Jappy. All
0: right. I I don't think the Irish will cover, but I think that they will win somewhat convincingly. So 12-and-a-half, I agree, is a little bit big of a spread for. Two teams in the top 18. So Virginia
1: And that spread I think has climbed over the past few days, too. Right. Because I think Um, I saw that it's worries me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: But so Virginia, obviously very good defense. Notre Dame's gonna have a tough time running against them, but that's okay because Notre Dame doesn't run the ball that well as of yet, anyway. So their their bread and butter obviously is Ian Book sitting there. And I agree with you, the short intermediate passes getting those guys going, just get him the ball out of his hands in a three-step trap. That's really the forte of a Brian Kelly offense. Anyway, bring those safeties Mm -hmm. up. Cause yeah, you don't really want to have to test the secondary deep. If you don't have to, if you can complete and dink and dunk and move down the field and then rip off a couple runs here and there when you need to, that's the thing to do. So, Virginia, the one thing that they can ex- or that they that you can try to exploit on Notre Dame's defense is the run, and Virginia's not very good at it right now. Like you mentioned, uh, almost a hundredth in rush offense. Wayne Talapapa does not strike fear into me going against this really good Notre Dame defense, especially, you know, getting into that secondary, which Aloe Gilman, Asmar Bilal, you know, the, the list goes on. Those guys can those guys are in my opinion, better tacklers and and run support guys than they are necessarily in the uh defending the pass. Those corners right. that you mentioned are, are really the the strength of that aerial defense. So Notre Dame's passing game will be important, but more importantly their defense is going to be the difference. I think that if Notre Dame continues to protect the ball like they have, I think I saw that they're ranked sixth in turnover margins. So they don't give the ball up yeah. very frequently away. I think that if they can spy Perkins with either Asmar Balal, or even Aloe Gilman. I think Gilman is a great matchup against Perkins because he's one of the best tacklers I've ever seen. So you spy him, you take him away. Their Mm -hmm. receivers don't strike fear into me if if you can get to Perkins, which I think Notre Dame's pass rush can. So I'm going to call for the Irish to win by 10. Not cover, but they'll win 24-14 and get that victory, the pseudo-ACC victory over the Virginia Cavaliers. And the Cavs go down with their first loss of the year. All right. So I'm going to flip the script now and go to gotcha. the Pac-12 and look at USC, ranked um, 21st in the AP poll, going up against the Washington Huskies. Now, Washington, last I checked, is a nine and a half point favorite at home. And I think that Seattle is a good home field advantage. And I kind of wrote this down. The games we're looking at this week, I'm going to call them show me games because there's a lot of teams here who are looking pretty good on the stats, but. I want them to show me Mm -hmm. against a valid opponent that they are a contender. And both of these teams, USC and Washington, this is their first chance to really show me what they've got. So USC, they've been up and down and up again. So they looked decent against Fresno State, did not look very good against BYU, looked pretty darn good against Utah. So, again, show me USC. Their quarterbacks have shown that they can complete the ball, and Graham Harrell is kind of the new quarterback whisperer. They're completing 75% of their passes with three different guys, JT Daniels, no. Keaton Slovis, and Jack or um, uh, Matt Fink. Hopefully they can keep this guy healthy for the entire game and they don't have to go down further down the depth chart. Their offensive line is doing a pretty good job as well. They've only given up five sacks this year. However... Keep an eye out for Washington's defensive end, Benning Poto'ai, who is one of the leading sack men in the Pac-12, creating a lot of havoc. Mm -hmm. I think he's got four or five sacks on the season, but he's also – consistently in that backfield. Where's number 8 and you got to love a defensive lineman with a single digit number that just means that he's a badass. So Absolutely. The the Trojans their weakness they lack a consistent run game especially on the road. They've got three pretty good backs who can rip off chunks, but you're going against a pretty good Jimmy Lake Washington defense. I think that USC is going to try to pick on the young corners for Washington. They're still kind of rotating through who they're getting comfortable with in their secondary. A lot of youth in that Washington secondary. They're going to be good next year and years beyond, but still trying to feel themselves out. And you really want to be solid and secure against that USC receiving core. Just ask the Utah Utes because guys like Pittman and Vaughn's and St. Brown have really been having a number and having their way on secondaries from opposing teams this year. Washington, I think this is a good Washington team. Like I said earlier, Cal may have been an anomaly. I think that if you play that game again in Seattle without any sort of weather delay, I think Washington wins this one, and they win it um, pretty, pretty standardly. I think that Washington, or looking at the stats sheet, Washington dominates except in sacks both ways. They're not very good at protecting their quarterback relative to USC getting to the quarterback, and they're also not that great at getting to the opposing quarterback. We talked about Potoae, but that's about it. Washington needs to create a little bit more havoc and try and disrupt that short intermediate passing game and the quick set throws from USC's quarterbacks. They do have a good pass offense. You mentioned Jacob Eason earlier is averaging 262 yards per game passing. A ten touchdown to two interception ratio, which is pretty good through four games. He's been very efficient, except for the Cal game. But you know, we'll we'll kind of give him a mulligan on that one. So this is going to be a good test to see how good USC's secondary is. They're starting to come along. Hafanga has proven to be a very good Pac-12 safety. I think Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele are forming a pretty good tandem at corner, and Greg Johnson is is another guy that you can throw in there in that USC secondary. And Washington's defense, they give up yards, but not too many points or passing touchdowns. They've only given up three touchdowns through the air this year, and that's really where USC makes their mark. So if Washington's defense can continue to clamp down and give up the pass plays, that's fine. But as long as you can lock down inside the 40 and inside the 20, which Washington has shown that they can do except for the Cal game, I think that Washington comes out on top here. Playing at home in Seattle is going to be a big factor. I like Washington to really show us that they are a contender and might get people to think that they could be a sleeper for the college football playoff if they get some help. I like the Huskies 42-24 over the Trojans in this one, Bip.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with uh, several of your points. Graham Harrell is definitely earning his keep in SoCal. Once again, the the Trojans put a quarter in that gumball machine, gotten a new color, and ended with the same result. A difficult passing game to stop. Matt Fink um, coming in and doing what he did against Utah was nothing short of spectacular considering he was the third string quarterback to start the season shows that, uh, you know, they, they have that preparation going into every game. Um, Every, every quarterback in this system does. Um, It's unknown what Slovis' status will be. And I'm curious as to what quarterback the coaching staff feels best about uh, assuming that both quarterbacks are healthy going into this one Uh, surprisingly Washington's only 54th in the country against the pass this year. Um, Salvin Ahmed is out for this game, but Richard Newton and Sean McGrew have both looked good this year. Um, I think Washington has the athletes in the secondary to match up with this group of receivers that Mm -hmm. USC has. Um, and I think that they keep the passing game more in check than USC's previous opponents. This is definitely the toughest passing test that USC is going to have so far this year, in my opinion, And if they can keep it in check, USC has struggled to run the ball this year, and I think that'll continue to happen against Washington. Jacob Eason has has impressed me, and USC uh, ranks 57th in defensive efficiency, 84th in rushing yards per game allowed, and 90th in passing yards per game allowed. So look out for this Mm -hmm. Washington offense to have a potential explosion of points. Outside of that passing game, USC still underwhelms me, and I think that Washington covers the spread easily in this one. I like the Huskies um, 37-24 at home.
0: So let's get to game two on the BIP slate. Who else are you looking at after the Irish and the Cavaliers?
1: Well, let's, let's keep it in the PAC 12 and I'm going to go Washington state at Utah and Utah is giving five points in this one as the favorite. Uh, So Washington state found out the hard way, what it's like to lose a game after throwing nine touchdown passes. And this was surprising for absolutely. I, I turned that on in the fourth quarter. Couldn't believe what the score was. And when I woke up, because unfortunately I fell asleep, it's past my bedtime I couldn't believe that Washington State gave that game away. Um, So surprising for two ways because their defense has been pretty good uh, the past few years. And where the hell did this offense come from from UCLA? (laughs) Um, So of of any team in the Pac-12, you would think that winless UCLA would not have been the team to put up the 60 some points that they did against Washington State. But that's why they play the game. Um, so Utah also suffered a surprising loss to me, albeit not surprising to you, Chappie, who called it last week, props to you. Um, so, so both teams are looking to rebound and make sure that they aren't behind the eight ball in the pac 12 this early in the season. Utah's defense surprised me with how bad they looked against that USC passing game. When the Trojans were down to their third string quarterback, Michael Pittman continually got behind the secondary, and that's going to be something to monitor this game to see how that uh how those cornerbacks shore it up and whether the Washington State receivers can take the the top off the coverage uh similar mm-hmm. to what USC did we know how good that US that Utah defensive line and front seven is and they stopped the USC running game but the Cougars aren't concerned with running the ball anyways with almost 2000 yards through the air already this season that Utah secondary will have their hands full once again against this Washington State passing game That could open up the running game for Max Borgie, who's averaging 7.4 yards per carry, and he's been equally impressive as a receiver as well. I really like what I see out of Borgie in his second year at uh, Washington State. Offensively, Utah will probably be without Zach Moss again, but I was impressed with Devin Brumfield last week, and Washington State is 89th in rush D uh, per game this year in the country. Tyler Huntley continues to play mistake-free football for the Utes and adds that running ability to keep the defense off-kilter But he's going to need to take over this game like he hasn't been able to do yet this year in order to keep up with this Cougar offense. I have a hard time with this one because I really like Utah going into the year, feeling that they were well balanced on offense and on defense. Seeing how much they struggled against that USC passing game has swayed me, however. What holds me back from Washington State is that they only scored 31 points against Houston, who was the 98th ranked team in defensive, or who is the 98th ranked team in defensive efficiency this year. That said, I think the Cougar passing game gets to the Utes like USC um, got to them, and I don't think Tyler Huntley is a good enough quarterback to win a shootout with Mike Leach and Anthony Gordon. I think this game looks similar to USC in that Utah is never really out of this game, but they play from behind for most of the game, and they start off Pac-12 play 0-2. I like the Cougars in this one pulling off the upset 31-27. All
0: right. By the way, uh, how is Jake Fromm going to feel that you've Forgot to mention him, and you've been giving Max Borgie love for the last four weeks, man. Is there is there a new is there a new picture in your <laughs> locker, Bip?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it, sometimes you get tired of talking to uh, the same okay. old flame. Right.
0: Duly noted. So, I yep, yep, yeah this this one was a little difficult for me as well, but I, I look at it and I like historically the way that Kyle Whittingham has rebounded. Compared to how Mike Leach teams have rebounded and it's mainly because of defense. I think that if your defense is strong and you have a a good defensive foundation, it's easier to bounce back from that than just being a, a team like Wazoo who can just torch the yard. So Anthony Gordon is good, but I haven't seen him face a defense anywhere near this good, especially on the back end. And I know that Utah was exposed by USC, but I've been telling everybody since the beginning of the offseason, this receiver core is top three in the country, and we're seeing it week in and week out. So this is not a knock to the Utes secondary. They got beat by a really good wide receiver group. Max Borgie, I think, is going to be a little bit stymied against this Utah run defense, which ranks... You know, very highly third in the country in stopping the run. And Borgie, let's face it, is not a 100-yard rusher game in and game out, nor does he have the offensive line that is going to be able to pave the way consistently against the big boys from Utah. I think that defense has too many holes in it right now for Wazoo. Case in point, giving up all those points in the second half against a UCLA team, which couldn't move the ball against Cincinnati, couldn't move the ball against San Diego State. Couldn't move the ball against Oklahoma's defense, which is not a world beater. And I know that they were playing from behind a lot, but that just means you're going to have to throw the ball naturally anyway. And they still couldn't really move the ball against the the Sooners. So for Utah, this Mm -hmm. is more of a redemption game for them. And I think that Wazoo is still going to be in shock after UCLA. I think that this week in practice, it may have been a pretty silent one. And I think we're going to see that spill over into the game in Rice Eccles. So who fills in and steps it up, up running back for Utah? That's my question. I think that this is a game that Tyler Huntley is going to take over and control both in the air and on the ground. I think the Utah secondary learned their lesson against USC. They're going to shore it up. And Morgan Scali is going to have his defensive group ready to go against Wazoo. I think they limit the points. I think that they limit the aerial assault. And I this is becoming one of the most hostile Pac-12 crowds that I can think of out in Utah. So give me the Utes 30 to 21 covering the spread and beating the Cougars.
1: Okay. Well, Chappie, who you got next on Well, we're going to
0: go to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and look at the 24th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats going up against the unranked Oklahoma State Cowboys who were only within five or six points of my number 11 Texas Longhorns. And I think that they're ranked number 11 in the <laughs> APL anyway, so great minds think alike. So right. Kansas State, they've been very good when they needed to be. On third down, they're disciplined. They, they're not committing many penalties. They have very few turnovers. Their quarterback, Skylar Thompson, has not made mistakes. He's thrown zero interceptions this year. They, they score a lot of points. They rank in the top 15 in points scored. In fact, they are 15th in terms of scoring per game offense. They, they run the ball well, and Ohio, or Oklahoma State I'm sorry does not stop the run very well. Kansas State throws it efficiently, and I think that they can use this advantage on offense to grind it and keep Oklahoma State off the field because let's get to Oklahoma State. We know that they've got a wide-open offense, a high-tempo offense. They want to hit you and hit you fast, and they want to get in the end zone as quickly as humanly possible, and they've got three guys that can help get it done. First of all, Chuba Hubbard, the nation's leading rusher. Um, Spencer Sanders, their quarterback, is a dual threat guy, a true dual threat guy. And actually, I think he's a better runner than he is a thrower. But he's very cool and collected. He reminds me a little bit of Adrian Martinez last year. Not as good as Martinez was in his freshman year. But I think that he shows that calm composure, that demeanor where very few things seem to rattle him. Defense, though, like I mentioned, is going to be a problem for Oklahoma State. They have not really played well. They're the 98th uh, best defense in the country, which is not saying a whole lot. They're actually playing like one of the worst Big 12 defenses right now. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. They're good at protecting the quarterback, though, and Kansas State does not attack their quarterback well. So Sanders is going to have some time to pick apart that secondary I didn't even mention Tyro or Ty- Tylon Smoochie Wallace and that <laughs> receiving crew. And we're starting to see more from guys like Dylan Stoner and Woods and uh, your boy Adams, who you called in the preseason to have a, a pretty good season. And he's starting to light it up a little bit now on that Oklahoma State offense. So it's going to come down to defense for the pokes. They're going to Jim, defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles needs to rattle Skylar Thompson, mix up his coverages, attack him and get him into situations where he hasn't been forced to play in yet this year, third and long, putting him on his back, rushing him out of the pocket. And I think if you can take that Kansas state offense out of their game, they're not really that flashy high powered offense. They really just want to run it down your throat with Jordan Brown and with uh, Harry Potter, I call him, but his name is actually Harry Trotter. It just sounds funnier. But they, <laughs> uh, you know, they they want to run the ball at you, and they want to dink it out to Dalton Schoen, and they want to get it to Malik Knowles on end-around reverses and whatnot, and kind of just control the game that way and keep you off the field. So if Oklahoma State can play Gundy ball, I think that this favors them. I like the Cowboys in this one, 38 28, even though they're five and a, or four and five a half point favorites. It's a close spread, but again, this is a show me game for both of these teams. Okie State came close against Texas, and some teams or some people are maybe writing them off a little bit in the Big 12, but if they can put up and beat a ranked Kansas State team at home, that loss to Texas is not going to look too bad because Texas has proven to be one of the better teams in the country right now. There's still a long way to go. They still have the Oklahoma game. So Oklahoma State, to me, is still a potential player in the Big 12. Kansas State, I'm not sold on them yet, so they're really going to need to show me if they come out here and went on the road in Stillwater at 7 o'clock at night, I think that this is going to be a big step for Chris Kleiman, an even bigger step forward, and we're going to start to see that Kansas State might be a top-15 caliber team when all is said and done because they're knocking off the teams that people haven't expected them to just yet. Although, in saying that, they really haven't played anybody other than Mississippi State, which they won down in Starkville. But Mississippi State hasn't been proving to be a great team so far yet anyway, though. Bip. So, yeah, give me the Pokes 38-28 covering the spread in
1: this one. Yeah, uh, Kansas State's my biggest surprise so far this year, not because they're 3-0, and but because they haven't had – um, or, or not because the 3-0, because they haven't had much of a tough schedule thus far. But as I mentioned earlier, they're top 10 in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency. Uh, but as as we've pointed out, Morgan State and Bowling Green don't strike much fear in opponents. Um, Mississippi State was without their starting quarterback, and that game came down to the wire. Uh, but still 3 and 0 is 3 and 0 for a Kansas State team that a lot of people were writing off at the beginning mm-hmm. of this year Chris Kleiman has started out playing unbull- or uh, having his team playing extremely disciplined extremely mistake free uh football um and that's what you got to do with the 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 squad that he's been right. given um Oklahoma State continues to be really tough to defend on on the ground as Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders make a dangerous duo. Uh, I think both running games shine in this one as Kansas State has also shown a greater ability to run the ball. Oklahoma State led Texas in the third quarter in Austin, and they're looking to jump back into the top 25. I think they're too much to handle for this Wildcat defense as well. Kansas State is never truly out of this game, in my opinion, but I think the Cowboys cover. Uh, I like Oklahoma State 34-27 uh, in this one as well. Jackie. Yeah, and
0: I agree with you. I, I, I think it's going to be a very good game to watch. Okie State maybe pulls away with a late touchdown or a field goal to put them up by 10 mm-hmm. later on. But, yeah, I, I, I'm expecting a close game by Kleiman's boys. And even if they go 6-6 six and six this year and they make a bowl, Chris Kleiman has already got – I'm already writing the CHRI on his – on the ballot for big 12 coach of the year, regardless of, you know, how the rest of the season shakes out, because for him to come in so quickly, I mean, there were so many people who are putting Kansas state literally at the bottom behind every other big 12 team and calling them maybe one of the 30 worst teams in college football this year. And so far he's proven everybody wrong to this point. So uh, quickly wrap through our, our last marquee games, and then we'll have you touch on your upsets and some of my locks for the lines this week. So the last one I want to get to is the college game day, special Ohio state at Nebraska. Honestly, I don't know why they chose this game other than the fact that it is. Nebraska. Me neither. I honestly think that uh, ESPN and the national media has this love affair with Nebraska. And for whatever reason, they want Nebraska back to be the Alabama that they were in the nineties. And they just love Scott Frost. I have not been impressed by this Nebraska program. In his first year and a half, BIP. So if you look at the stats here, this is a statistical mismatch. It's a nightmare for Nebraska. Ohio State is so far ahead of them in so many categories. Ohio State scores a lot. They don't give up much uh, in the way of points. The biggest mismatch are turnovers and how they fare at sacking the opposing quarterbacks versus Nebraska protecting their quarterback, Justin Fields is doing his thing. He's doing everything right. He's seeing the field really well. He's got 13 touchdowns to zero interceptions. Some will say he hasn't been tested yet, but he's played athletes against Florida Atlantic. Cincinnati's defense was pretty good when they played against them. So, you know, I think that Fields has done more to impress me, and I'll be be—I'll admit I was a Justin Fields skeptic going into the season, but right now I think that he is certainly flashing and showing that uh, he's a good player. But this is the first time that he's had in his college career in a big-time environment as the man. So he, again, is going to have to show me that he's truly worthy of all that talk, or is it just that he had inflated stats in the first three games? They've got so many better athletes than Nebraska does. For Nebraska, Adrian Martinez, this is your spotlight game. You can get back into the talks with the big game here, but you have to be protected, and he has to protect the football. No turnovers. They can't afford it because Ohio State is just going to go and go and go. Now, a lot of this sets up similar to the way that the Purdue game set up last year. And some people have even gone the chic way and said, oh, this could be a trap game for Ohio State. No, if they've done anything they've learned from the Purdue game last year and Ryan Day and that coaching staff is saying, remember Purdue, remember Purdue, remember Purdue. I think that it comes out to be ugly for Nebraska in this one. I... I'm going to tell Scott Frost, you're going to want to get tricky here. If you have any great trick plays, and I mean multiple, I use that in the uh, plural sense, use them here. Use them because you need this game. This is your chance to prove that Nebraska's back and you are back. If you don't, even if you fall short within 10 points, 14 points, people are still going to write you off this year. So if you want to prove it, this is it. And he actually kind of teased a little bit and said, uh, you know, nothing really about the game, but he said, this is uh, an exciting week for Nebraska. People are going to see things that they haven't seen in a while. So I think he may be tipping his hand a little bit too. We're going to see some new wrinkle or we're going to see some sort of gimmick that he's going to try and, and and dupe the Buckeyes in game days here. There's a lot of hoopla trying to get Nebraska back to the top, but this Ohio state team is just too good. I think Ohio state jumps out early, goes into halftime with a pretty big lead. Nebraska scores a couple in the third to make it look close but then it's going to be all Buckeyes. Give me the scarlet and gray 56 31 covering that. Uh, I think it's a 15 and a half point spread here, but I think they cover it comfortably and win by 25 in this one.
1: Yeah, this could be one of the ugliest games hosted by college game day. I mean, have they watched both teams this year (laughs) and what the disparity is? I'm wondering how much the boosters from Nebraska gave ESPN to travel to Lincoln this weekend. Um, The Huskers struggle against Alabama State, winning by only 14, lost to Colorado, damn near lost to Illinois last week. Um, And Ohio State, on the other hand, has looked like a team that can challenge Bama and Clemson as they have the fourth-ranked offensive efficiency in the country, fifth-ranked defensive efficiency in the country. J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields should run free on offense. And my goodness are the pair of Chase Young and true freshman Malik Harrison disruptive on defense. They've combined for... 14 tackles for loss so far this year. Chase Young has seven sacks alone. This one is over by the half, and I think Ohio State uh, puts puts to, puts to bed the notion of Nebraska seriously challenging in the Big Ten this year. Give me the Buckeyes, 52, Nebraska 21.
0: Okay, uh, and so we don't leave out the SEC fans out there, Bip. You want to touch real quickly on Auburn hosting Mississippi State in really the, sure. the game of the week in the SEC, and that shows how how weak the schedule is in the sec this week.
1: <laughs> yeah. Auburn ranks 10th uh, overall in defes- defensive efficiency while Mississippi state ranks 19th. So points could be, a, be at a premium in this one. Additionally, I don't love either offense in this game. Right. Uh, the Tigers are fresh off a, a game against Texas A&M in which they controlled the entire game. Despite uh, the fourth quarter comeback attempt by the Aggies, that score was kind of closer than what the game indicated. Um, that mean Auburn front seven is going to look to bottle up, uh, Kylan Hill as he rushed for, he's rushed for at least 111 yards in all four of their games so far this year and scored three touchdowns against Kentucky last week alone. The wildcard here in this bowl in this, uh, the wild card in this game is going to be who trots out at quarterback for the Bulldogs. Uh, Garrett Schrader is a heck of a runner. He's averaged 7.4 yards per carry on 30 carries this year as a quarterback Pass the ball. He's a hell of a long well dart, Kentucky. too, uh,
0: after last
1: week's game. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that helicopter John Elway <laughs> one, he got about four more feet than Elway did in the yeah, Super right? Bowl on that one. That was an unbelievable scene. Um, he passed the ball well against Kentucky, but not so much against Kansas State. Tommy Stevens' ability availability is still up in the air, and there's a lot of murmurs in regards to once Stevens is healthy, who's going to be the quarterback for Mississippi State, so that'll be something to keep an right. eye on. Um I still don't love this Auburn offense, but each of their top three running backs is averaging at least five yards per carry and both Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood, their quarterbacks are effective runners behind this very good offensive line. I think the Tigers continue to lean on the run and use their formula of keeping opposing defenses on the field with their running game and that suffocating defense to wear that um, to wear down Mississippi state throughout this game of note, Derek Brown's upper body injury has it unclear as to whether he's going to be playing against the Bulldogs. Um, he's coming off a week in which he earned the national defensive player of the week. Auburn has beaten Oregon by six Texas A&M by eight, but Texas A&M scored with two minutes left when the game is pretty much out of yeah. reach and Mississippi state isn't as good as either of those two. I like the tigers to cover in this one, 28 17, uh, from their 10 and a half point spread that they have going into this one.
0: Yep. I, I like Auburn as well. I, I like it fairly low scoring, but Auburn to command the whole game. I have him 27 to seven. I just have for Auburn, do what you do best, run the football, don't try and get cute. Mississippi State has the 33rd best pass efficiency defense, so if you can run it with your stable of backs and that really good offensive line, go at that Mississippi State defense, which has not been that great against the run this year. For Mississippi State, Kylan Hill can't do it all on his own, especially against this run defense on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Questions at quarterback, I think that Mississippi State really could have used Keeton Thompson here in this one, but they've got to protect whoever's playing quarterback better as they're 94th in sacks allowed whereas auburn is 32nd nationally in getting to the quarterback and bringing them down behind the line of scrimmage i think that this is a chance for a statement game for auburn to show that they truly are continuing to be legit in that sec west they've got to protect the football because mississippi state has been successful at creating turnovers but like i said i like the tigers taking this one 27 to 7 game in hand not even really close Right. So give us some of your upset specials, Bip, as we get near the end of this podcast tonight at podcast number 58. Who do you see as some upsets? I know you already called Wazoo beating Utah on the road as an underdog. Who else do you see coming out on top who maybe shouldn't be?
1: Yep. And real quick, props to you, Chappie. You called the uh, Pitt UCF game last year as the Panthers pulled off that upset with the Pittsburgh special with under a minute to go. So. Uh, props to you on that one this week. I like Arizona state at Cal mentioned it or kind of teased it earlier in the podcast, have Cal at number 15, but Cal keeps chugging along. Uh, chase Garbers through for 350 yards and four touchdowns against, against Ole Miss last week. And that defense kept Matt Corral, um, and the Ole Miss running game in check. So Cal looked really good last week, but Having played a similar team in Michigan State uh, and come out on top, I think Arizona State shakes off that close loss to Colorado, jumps back into the top 25 in this one. I like Arizona State to pull off the upset 17-13 um, and hand Cal their first loss. I agree with you on that um, as one. Arizona State. Yep. A um, couple other games that, that um, I like. Straight up, I think that Maryland pulls the upset against Penn State this week. Penn State hasn't had much competition yet. Sean Clifford has been so-so and didn't look sharp against Pitt. Journey Brown might not play in this one. And while that Penn State run day day has been good, it will be tested against this Maryland rushing attack. I like the Terps to steal one at home from the Nittany Lions um, this week. And then another game to keep an eye on. I'm not calling this upset straight up by any means, but Clemson is giving 26 and a half points at North Carolina. Um, I think that this one's going to be much closer than the spread indicates. Uh, North Carolina has lost their last two, but to Wake Forest and Appalachian state who are both still undefeated, um and North Carolina was in both of those games. I think Clemson wins by double digits, but Mac Brown doesn't let the deficit get into the twenties in this one, Jeffy.
0: Yeah, I, I like that one to be a little bit closer as well, just because they've you know Carolina's lost two in a row, and I don't think that that's typical of a Mac Brown team. I think he's going to really get into his players this week. And mm-hmm. I heard a stat that Dabo Swinney, and I, I'm not saying that it's going to hold true this week, has never won in Chapel Hill. Now the last hmm. time that they played when he was Clemson's coach and they played in Chapel Hill had to have been like eight years ago. I don't know the exact date, but you know, interesting thing. So maybe there's a little bit of stigma that follows him and maybe this is that wake up game, that close call that people are like, you know, I can't believe Clemson, you know, maybe Clemson isn't as good as we thought or maybe North (laughs) Carolina is actually better than people think. So do you have any others there, Bip?
1: Nope. That's it. I was just going to say, let's get into your locks. Okay.
0: So just some quick locks in terms of looking at the point spreads and and ones that I would take to the bank here. First of all, on Friday night, Virginia tech giving two and a half points to Duke at Blacksburg. I think that Virginia tech is better than a two and a half point win over the blue devils. I I mean, I don't know why that's so close. I know Virginia tech hasn't blown the doors off anybody, but Duke really hasn't uh, looked too good for their own rights. So, Give me the Hokies there to cover the two and a half comfortably Vandy yep. at home, giving five and a half to Northern Illinois Vandy's 0 three and they're not an Owen three football team. They're a lot better than that. And I know that you would attest to that louder than anybody. So I'm going to take the fighting <laughs> Derek Masons. And I think that Vandy comes out pissed. I think that the Huskies get their comeuppance in this one. I, I think that Northern Illinois is a little bit overrated. I know that they played some big boys so far. But they've been beaten down a little bit. And and I like Riley Neal and the big three there with Keyshawn Vaughn, Jared Pinkney, and Kalijah Lipscomb are gonna run all over Northern Illinois. I, I like Vandy comfortably to certainly beat the five and a half point uh points that spread that they're laying to the Huskies. Give me Toledo. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one, Chappie, as I've been burned <laughs> enough times by Vandy so far this year. But I also agree with you. I think that they're good for more than what that point spread indicates.
0: So you're evoking the chappy Florida State gag rule. I've, I'm gagging <laughs> on Florida State. You're going to take Vandy. Fair enough. Right. Um, so Toledo, two and a half. They're getting two and a half at home against BYU. I like the Rockets in this offense, so give me the Rocket men to, to beat the two and a half spread and beat the Cougars straight up out in the glass bowl in Toledo. Hmm. Uh, Georgia Tech getting nine and a half against temple and the game's out in philadelphia but this is the jeff collins bowl he's going back to where he was from he knows this team because he coached them last year he coached them the years before i think that gives him a little bit of an edge i'm not calling for georgia tech to win outright but i certainly think it's closer than nine and a half points that temple is giving them
1: coastal carolina i'm sorry go ahead and I really like uh, Anthony Russo for Temple, but they're coming off a loss to Buffalo in which they lost by 16. I think giving nine points is way too much in this one.
0: Yeah. Coastal Carolina as a 14-and-a-half-point dog on the road against Appalachian State. App State, little bit still rejoiceful from beating North Carolina on the road. Coastal Carolina is better than we think. I believe their only loss this year has come to Eastern Michigan, so they're playing pretty well out the gate. So I think it's closer than that 14 and a half points. App State might be kind of counting their chips before the hand is over. So I like App State to win, but closer than the 14 and a half point spread. UAB is giving two and a half to Western Kentucky on the road. Western Kentucky has not looked good. They lost to an FCS team in their opener at home in a blackout. UAB is undefeated so far, I believe. They've been playing pretty good ball under Bill Clark. They just continue to show that they are a complete football team and much better than a a two-and-a-half-point victor over the Hilltoppers. So give me the Blazers in that one. And then the last one, NC State getting six points on the road against Florida State. It's Florida State, so I can't say much about them, but I think that North Carolina State is closer than six points against the Knolls. So uh, take the Wolfpack to cover the six in that one.
1: And Florida State's going to screw you again, most likely, (laughs) Chappie.
0: Well, no, no, no. I didn't say it was Florida State. I said it was NC State in this one. So if I had (laughs) spun it the other way, I'd probably be wrong. But because I'm painting it for the Wolfpack being a good team against their (laughs) opponent in Tallahassee, I think that's going to save me a bit.
1: They'll still screw you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they always do. So. That's week five. Don't forget to check back in with Bip and I next week as we recount the fifth, well, really the sixth week of college football, what we learned, and what we can look forward to in week six ahead. Remember, if you want to be more informed than the other guys, subscribe and continue to follow us here on A Bowl Full of Chips. I am at Champion underscore Lit, and he is at BFCBip. So check us out on Twitter to get our picks, thoughts, and other fun stuff. Well, we survived week five, and college football's coming alive with conference matchups from the zoo to the hive. Some will thrive, some will die. But Bip and I, we strive to contrive and arrive at the right content for your walk or your drive, weekly and right, so as to never deprive you what you crave, and we do it with jive. So keep it stiff and survive until your next fix with our picks for week six. I am Chappy. And I am Bip. And we thank you for your devotion. Keep the good rolling, and we're glad you're rolling with us. Roll on, everybody. See ya. See ya.